From KUAR News in Little Rock, this is a look at Arkansas news, politics, and more. Coming up. Governor Asa Hutchinson says the federal government has approved changes he'd like to make to the state's Medicaid expansion program. A panel is named that will establish the rules for how medical marijuana will be implemented. Free tuition is proposed for students wanting to go into high-demand fields of study at two-year colleges with certain stipulations. And the Arkansas Supreme Court tosses out a judge's ruling that said same-sex couples could have the names of both spouses on the birth certificate. The dissent cites Bob Dylan. That's coming up on KUAR's Weekend Review podcast. I'm Michael Heplin. I'm Chris Hickey. And I'm Jacob Kaufman. Well, it was a busy week for Governor Asa Hutchinson. He was involved in uh, several big stories. First off on uh, health care. On Monday, the governor uh, traveled up to Washington, where he met with U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Sylvia Burwell. And then after that meeting, he met with uh, members of President-elect Trump's transition team. All to uh, talk about changes he'd like to make to the state's Medicaid expansion program, what had been known as the private option, now under his uh, leadership, known as Arkansas Works. And on Wednesday, he announced he had gotten a call the night before from Burwell saying that the changes had been approved, though one aspect didn't go uh, as far as uh, he would have liked. Uh, But first, I'll uh, uh, give a a cut here from the uh, governor. And this comes as uh, there's a deadline at the end of the year. And if the uh, state didn't get this waiver, you would have had about 300,000 low-income residents lose coverage through this program that uses federal Medicaid dollars to buy uh, private insurance. But the governor said uh, overall, speaking to reporters Wednesday, uh, he was satisfied. There were really uh, four major elements of the reform that we wanted. One was to have work referral requirements. We got that. One was to have a copay. We got that. One was to have more limited look back uh, period before uh, the insurance becomes effective. Uh, we're, we've got that. Uh, the fourth one was to have a greater emphasis on employer-sponsored insurance so that uh, if an employer uh, has uh, workers that are on the expanded Medicaid, then they would have an incentive to bring them back and put them on the employer insurance. That was a very important point. Uh, they uh, per, uh, allowed this and accepted that employer-sponsored insurance emphasis, but it was restricted to new uh, additions, new employers that are, for the first time, offering insurance that we could provide the financial incentives. And so the question was, what's the financial incentives we're going to be given to employers. Uh, Mine was broader than what uh, this administration wanted to give, and it's more narrow, which impacts really the effectiveness. I think you'll have fewer employers that will try to make the switch because it will ultimately cost them money when you've got some of your workers on Medicaid. Uh, And we wanted to give them the financial incentives because it would still save uh, the taxpayers money. Uh, But we were restricted on that. And so Uh, We got really all four elements. It was just one point that was more restricted than we wanted that you need to understand will impact the effectiveness of that as we look into next year. But we wanted to go ahead uh, 
to do this because we've got 300,000 Arkansans. It's got a cliff January 1, and we wanted to make sure they had a comfort level that their health care is going to continue with these reforms in place. And then, uh, under the Trump administration, who I met with also, uh, we will be, we made it clear that we'll be seeking uh, additional waivers and authority and flexibility for the state, particularly in this area of employer-sponsored insurance and in more stringent work requirements. He's expecting uh, the Trump administration will allow states more of these uh, block grants that uh, states will be able to uh, decide for themselves more how they're going to use this money. But it it depends, too, obviously, what happens with uh, Trump, who had campaigned mm -hmm. on uh, promising to repeal Obamacare and now saying, well, maybe there are parts of it I'll keep. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the big disconnects is all the Republicans agree that Medicaid should have some sort of block grant program. But what is in the block grant? What are the conditions of the block grant? No one really knows. Speaker Paul Ryan in Congress has a, a rough draft of this block grant program but that doesn't include any of the funding or eligibility for Medicaid expansion. It's just for what Medicaid used to be like. The governor has said he wants any replacement to continue coverage for those 300,000 people, but uh, I don't think there's a congressional plan that does that. And uh, the idea behind the block grant, the states like it because there are less strings attached to getting this federal money. But on the federal level, you could see why the federal government would want to have some conditions and not just give out money to states. So there'll have to be some sort of new conditions in this. Right. And that seems like what the governor is uh, wanting to, he, he's saying people should take more responsibility in his words and and yeah. uh, just uh, not hand out the money as freely. And some of these changes that the governor got, I mean, it, in a way was totally expected because the legislature passed the Arkansas Works changes with advice all along about what the federal government would accept and wouldn't accept because they've been through this a few times trying to get changes to the Medicaid program. And one of the things that they wanted that they didn't get, in addition to the employer-based stuff the governor is talking about, is he wants people to be – they want to have some sort of workforce requirement where if you don't have a job within a certain amount of time, then you can't get the insurance. And the workforce reform that the Hutchinson administration got was just that someone will be referred to a job training. But if they don't go, there's no penalty. They don't lose it. And with these premiums, too, if someone doesn't pay them, they still get to stay on the insurance plan. And the Hutchins administration would like to probably kick you off. Yep. Well, another item uh, involving the governor this week, he announced uh, the uh, people who will be uh, making the rules for uh, setting up the state's medical marijuana program. Uh, voters uh, approved uh, this last month for uh, people suffering from uh, certain conditions, and uh, this commission will now set up the rules and regulations uh, governing the uh, cultivation uh, as well as uh, how the uh, drug is dispensed. And uh, the governor and the uh, leaders of the Arkansas House and Senate appointed uh, five members who will develop this, but the governor made it clear uh, during a press conference Wednesday he's still not necessarily happy about it, as everyone knows, uh, uh, we're rather vocal in our opposition to uh, the amendment. Uh, I was, uh, but uh, the people uh, spoke, and it's our responsibility to take the steps necessary to implement in a fair and responsible way uh, the amendment that was passed by uh, the people of Arkansas. Uh, we have, as a result of that, uh, 
uh, allocated funds necessary for the uh, review of the regulations and pre preparation of the regulations necessary through the Department of Health and Department of Finance. And worth noting, a little ironic, uh, Hutchinson, who once served as uh, head of the Drug Enforcement Administration under President George W. Bush, uh, now setting this up. Uh, he named uh, Little Rock breast cancer surgeon Dr. Rhonda Henry Tillman. Uh, House Speaker Jeremy Gillum appointed a Benton pharmacist, Stephen Carroll, and uh, an attorney, Travis Story of Fayetteville. Uh, Senate President Pro Tem Jonathan Dismang named former Senate Chief of Staff James Miller of Bryant, who I believe is a lobbyist today, and uh, also named uh, a pain specialist physician, uh, Dr. J. Carlos Roman of Little Rock. And the governor was asked uh, how these uh, five were chosen. Obviously, you can see an emphasis uh, of those in the medical profession, both pharmacy and medical doctors, uh, that are well represented on the commission because we have to remember this is not a recreational use authorization. It's really not a marijuana commission. It is a medical marijuana commission. And so we're dealing with, with pain medication. Uh, we're dealing with uh, the medical community uh, and the implementation of medicine. And so the, uh, the doctor background, the pharmacy uh, involvement is very important as a balance on the commission, but also as, uh, and I appreciate what Senator Dismang said in terms of uh, Dr. Roman that has the experience in avoiding uh, overprescribing, uh, making sure that uh, uh, it is appropriately used when in pain medication. So that in, that's really an enforcement side of medical marijuana. So I think you've got a very good balance uh, on the uh, commission. And the uh, uh, rules uh, stipulate the first meeting needs to be uh, 15 days, I believe, as of uh, the naming of the uh, five people. And Chris, you heard we're already got one meeting maybe set up? Yeah, well, I saw a tweet by a reporter from the Democrat Gazette saying that there was going to be a meeting on Monday, the first meeting. But I'll just also add to this that um, in addition to this commission, you know, the Department of Health and the Department of Finance and Administration is tasked with developing and promulgating rules and regulations. And I think in the amendment itself, there was mention of a 120-day deadline after the day after the passage of the amendment uh, to where they had to submit those. And I know that there's some talk in the legislature about uh, a bill that would extend that deadline um, so that legislators have time to, I guess, you know, review, the, review it as well as, um, you know, work on other things with the upcoming legislative session. Yeah, and worth noting that significant changes could be made to this amendment uh, with a two-thirds vote uh, by the legislature. And uh, House Speaker Jeremy Gillum uh, was asked about that during the uh, announcement, and he uh, kind of uh, left that open. Well, I think, uh, with, as with much uh, dealing uh, with this amendment and the implementation of it, uh, it's still very early in the process, and so I, I don't think there's any definitive statements that can be made at this point as to what will happen in the session in regard to this. Um, so that's, I think that's as far as, as we can take it at this time. And referencing the session that begins uh, in January. Uh, but one key question is how companies or people will be 
chosen to uh, dispense the drug. And uh, the governor suggested uh, a similar approach to how alcohol uh, licenses are uh, handed out uh, through a lottery. Entities would have to meet uh, certain standards, uh, basically be able to function as a business, have uh, financial backing, that kind of thing. But uh, otherwise uh, uh, suggested that a lottery uh, would work. Well, we want to get it right. Uh, that's most importantly. And so we don't want to rush it. Uh, we only have one time to get it right. These licenses uh, are going to be, I suspect, uh, highly sought after. And so we want to have a process that has credibility and integrity and uh, makes sense. Uh, and uh, we have 120 days. Uh, that's what I've directed my agencies to proceed with is to develop the regulations within that time frame. Uh, there is some legislation, I believe, that uh, might consider delaying that. Uh, that's a legislative prerogative that I'll let them consider it uh, because there is a legislative review process for new regulations. And so, uh, but we're not going to slow the process up. We're going to do it right, but we're going to uh, intend to uh, have the regulations adopted within that time frame. But Jacob, you spoke with uh, David Couch, the man behind uh, the amendment. Uh, what's his uh, thoughts on so far how this has been set up? Well, generally, he says he thought that the commissioners would be more business-type people. And because the main function of the commission, Chris kind of mentioned the Department of Health and the other boards that do a lot of the rules promulgating, and a lot of it's already spelled out in the constitutional amendment. Not everything can be changed by the legislature. Um, but so these commissioners, are, as you mentioned, they're uh, some people with some legal or legislative experience, a lot of medical people. He thought that was kind of odd because medical marijuana is legal in the state, whether or not the commissioners, you know, that, that's not what they're going to be regulating, really. All the commissioners said they voted against medical marijuana, but he thinks they're going to do their job. You have to applaud the governor and, and the members of the General Assembly that have been open about this. Um, you know, they, they realize that, you know, this passed with 53, 54% of the vote, probably would have passed with a much greater percentage of that if it hadn't been for the confusion with issue seven. If you poll medical marijuana in Arkansas as a generic question, you know, you get nearly 70% of the people of Arkansas support it. And if you look at the crosstabs of those polls, people who self-identify as uh, conservative, Democrats, moderate Republicans, and independents, they're statistically the same person. So I think that that the the leadership of the General Assembly and the governor are, are true when they say they're going to try to implement this in a fair and responsible manner. And uh, here's Couch going through a little bit of what he envisions the commission to go go through in that responsible manner. There should be some minimum qualifications, mm-hmm. and then you know I think the commission, since there are a limited number of dispensers and cultivation facilities, they need to have some geographical disbursement of those throughout the state. You know, they need to, right. it's limited to four in any one county. So they need to see where, what counties would be most appropriate to place uh, dispensaries and or cultivation facilities in. And then, you know, when you apply, you have to have a location. So if there are several equally qualified people in, say, for example, they decide to put four dispensaries in Pulaski County and they have eight equally qualified people that meet the minimum requirements, then, you know, you could have a lottery then. 
And so the commission has some like constitutionally mandated authority that they have to do certain things or they will have failed to meet their constitutional charge. Uh, one of them, Couch mentioned, is the state has to supply enough medical marijuana for patient demand. So the state has to get these licenses going. They have to be able to provide this product to people. Um, there must be four to eight cultivation centers and 20 to 40 dispensaries. So they've got to authorize licenses and figure out regulations for at least four of those cultivation centers and at least 20 dispensaries. Uh, that could change in previous year. In, in subsequent years, they could add more or take some away. Um, so David Couch said he's not really worried about the commissioners. You mentioned Speaker Gillum kind of being on ambivalent about what the legislature might do. David Couch is kind of worried about the legislature messing some things up. I think we need to watch out for uh, people who want to um, maybe impose an additional tax on it to try to limit the program, make it more expensive than it should be. And then I think there's probably some organizations out there like the pharmacists that actively oppose this. They don't like this as a competitor. So I think they'll try to, to change the program and try to limit it severely. So the commission's got, as you were saying, they have to meet maybe possibly even beginning on Monday. They have that June or July deadline. They've got a lot of work to do for this first six months. But after that, once most of these things are licensed, it won't be so intensive. But there was one representative at the press conference, I think spoke afterward, Representative Douglas House from North Little Rock. He said that some legislatures are, legislators are considering giving each commissioner a $30,000 salary. Right now, the amendment just gives you $85 for expenses when you meet. So that's kind of a big difference. Um, here's David Couch's reaction. He thought it was a lot of money to give them. During the campaign, they were complaining about the cost of this program. We put in there $85 a day. I see this as an honor to be on the commission. I don't think that they need to be paid $30,000 a year. I mean, once the rules are established to begin with and the dispensary license are done the first time around, there's really no work for the commission other than renewals or depends on how many they're going to issue the first time around. But I think that's a little much money to pay for somebody to do that. And House's reasoning was that because these people come from high-paying professions, like being a railroad lobbyist or being in the medical community, that they're used to making a lot of money so that they need to be able to get money <laughs> when they go to these things. Yeah. But uh, it's still a part-time job, essentially. Or is it a full-time? Probably part-time. It's, it's definitely part-time. But I, I guess the argument it, or the, the reason behind House's thing is they're going to have to work a lot. This first group of commissioners is going to have to work a lot for like six months. But after that, Couch's thing is, well, everything will be pretty much set up. Will David Couch have any uh, role in this uh, later? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, mean, I guess he w I'm sure he'll be at the legislature, legislature and trying to make sure that they don't change what voters told the legislature that they want. Well, Chris, the, this week the governor uh, also made another announcement, a, a program he would like to uh, implement to enable more people to uh, pursue degrees in uh, high-demand uh, fields. Yeah, that's right. He called it the Arkansas Future Grant, or Our Future Grant. It would go to students who attend technical or community colleges, two-year programs, and who major in high-demand fields of study. Um, let's go ahead and just listen to the governor here kind of introducing it. Uh, this is a fairly significant and dramatic change that will give Arkansas the opportunity to reach one of our major goals, which is to increase the attainment level for 
people of Arkansas, which right now only 43% of Arkansans have a higher degree or certificate uh, post high school. Our goal is to increase that to 60% by 2025. How do you accomplish that strategic goal in attainment? And the answer is this is one of the key tools that will help us to accomplish that. So often students don't feel like they can get there. They don't feel like they can afford it. Yes, they have a lottery scholarship, or yes, they might have access to a Pell Grant, but it still doesn't give them the level of confidence that they can fully afford even the tuition and mandatory fees costs at a two-year college or a technical school. This assures them that that will be covered. And so this will be available to any student who enrolls in a high-demand field of study such as computer science or welding. So you heard him mention that it would cover all the tuition and mandatory fees for these students, um, but at the same time, it's considered a last dollar program in that students would still have to apply for their Pell Grants or their Arkansas Lottery Scholarships and all the rest of that money would be covered. Now, he mentioned, he mentioned that high demand field of study like computer science and welding, those high demand fields would be determined by the region that the student lives in. So whatever is in the highest demand in whatever region of the state. There are some stipulations. The student would have to complete their degree in you know, a two-year span. They would also have to complete eight hours of community service per semester, and the governor kind of rationalized this as it, you know, it was designed to broaden the perspective of the student and you know, to be more involved in the community. Upon graduation or upon the completion of their degree or certificate, the student would have to live and work full-time in the state for three years. Now, if the student isn't able to meet those stipulations, then they'd have to repay the grant money in the form of a loan. Now, all this is a proposal. Um, the governor introduced it along with a few other education initiatives. Uh, it would have to be passed by the legislature. And uh, basically, there's $8 million available. Um, he emphasized that it would not require new general revenues. What they're doing or what they would be doing the governor's office and the State Department of Higher Education is taking money from uh, two current grant programs provided the state by the state, the Workforce Improvement Grant or WIG Grant and the GO Grant. Uh, the governor noted that recipients of the GO Grant uh, currently have a 77% non-completion rate. So part of the idea behind this newly announced grant is to incentivize or at least make sure that people would want to complete their degree. And, you know, he outlined a few other, or briefly mentioned a few other education initiatives. One would be a higher education uh, productivity funding formula. This has been under development by the Department of Higher Education for some time. Uh, he wants to commit an additional $3 million uh, for pre-kindergarten programs through the Arkansas Better Chance program. And at the end of the press release that they mentioned, uh, that they sent out, uh, and the governor didn't really talk about this, but he wants to amend the teacher opportunity program, uh, which provides scholarships for teachers who are seeking to better their education. The change would be, again, the governor wants to incentivize teachers to seek degrees in higher demand fields or um, like computer science, STEM fields, 
Um, and he also lists uh, literacy, pre-kindergarten education, or special education, um, these being some of the areas of highest need for the state. And this would have to be approved uh, by lawmakers. Yeah, I, I guess the, the implication is that all of this um, is kind of, these are proposals that the leg- legislature can take up uh, in this upcoming session. And on the uh, topic of the session, uh, we're hearing of uh, some bills now being uh, filed uh, ahead of the session. Uh, shall we run through a few of these? Let's do it. Well, I shortly before we recorded the podcast, I was talking with a freshman state representative, Carolyn Brown, a Republican from Sherwood, and she just filed a bill today as we record this that would uh, add a few different uh, illnesses to the list of illnesses that the state mandates that school children get immunized for. Uh, One would be hepatitis B, rotavirus, pneumococcus, hemophilus, and hepatitis A. And another significant part of her bill, and probably what will end up being a very controversial section, it's not a section, it actually outlaws um, the religious and philosophical exemptions for parents who want to keep their kids from getting certain immunizations. Kim Hendren, I spoke with uh, him earlier this week. He is uh, uh, wanting to pass a law that would basically ban students from uh, having cell phones on them in uh, schools. Uh, There would have to be a a designated place where students put their cell phones when they arrive for school and couldn't have it out at all during the day. He wasn't sure whether or not there are other states that have uh, similar bills, but uh, he suggested, number one, it's a distraction, but also said uh, some concerns about... uh, uh, female students being pressured to take uh, nude selfies and share those with uh, uh, male students. And uh, I don't know if there's much uh, backing for this, but that's uh, one concern he expressed. Yeah, and well, yeah, I, don't, I can't really comment on that part, but I know that now it, it's based on the school district local level uh, about whether or not they uh, school districts want to impose a policy banning or allowing cell phone use. And I think his bill also stipulates that students could use their cell phones in cases of emergency. But it would still, you'd have to go to that designated place where the phones are being kept and get them. And I imagine during an emergency, uh, it'd be difficult to do that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comments on like social media and Twitter about this bill, just people who are actually critical of it. Um, And a lot of their criticism stems from, you know, this part about, well, if students really need this in an emergency, they need, you know, have their cell phones. Um, I know that, you know, some districts, you know, have banned cell phones before. I don't know if it's really been a problem, but um, I think another thing that people point out is that sometimes uh, cell phones or electronic devices are used as part of classroom instruction. Maybe a teacher wants people to look something up or, I don't know. Well, uh, when I went to high school at Parkview High School, they banned cell phones and they would go around randomly to classrooms with metal detectors and electronic device detectors and confiscate them. And I just imagine, I bet there are some teachers will be glad that cell phones won't be a distraction in their class if this passes. And there are probably others that really don't want to collect every like thousands of cell phones. The school's going to collect thousands of cell phones at some schools yeah. and 
keep them and make sure no one loses them and spend, you know, like you have to spend an hour a day lining up to turn <laughs> yeah. your cell phone in at some and, of these schools. And then handing <laughs> yeah. it back out at the end of the day. So, yeah, right. So that seems kind of weird. Um, the rhetoric of this is kind of funny. Michael, you mentioned it's always about uh, the women who can't help themselves for all these kind of <laughs> things. It's kind of just a note there. And the last thing I want to say about this is that um, the legislature, legislators themselves are on their cell phones constantly. <laughs> yeah. Like you cannot look at them at any meeting. They're all looking at their phone. Probably not um, Kim Hendren, though. <laughs> uh, any other bills worth uh, noting at this uh, point? Yeah, there are a few ones. Did we talk about sanctuary cities last week, Chris? We did. Okay, so this week, and we also briefly mentioned last week Andy Mayberry filing a bill to end to try to ban second trimester abortions, basically, this one procedure. So go back to the last podcast if you want some detail to it. But he formally filed the bill this week. Um, there's two more teacher-related, or three more teacher-related bills. Alan Clark filed two. One would be to use the Academic Challenge Scholarship and give someone an additional $5,000 their junior and senior year if they commit to being a teacher for five years in a high-needs high area or a subject that's high-needs, much like that... Uh, tech bill that the governor introduced, but to try to get more teachers. Sarah White's Kodachek with Arkansas Public Media had previously done a story that said the number of teachers enrolling in teacher training programs has dropped in half in three years, so it's kind of aimed at that problem. Another one would be loan forgiveness if you become a teacher for a number of years. And uh, Okay, there's one bill by Bruce Cozart, who's the House Education Chair, that would make it easier to fire teachers specifically if they're in a district that has been taken over by the state the Little Rock School District. That's that's the wrap-up. Mm-hmm. When does the session <laughs> begin? Uh, January 9th. 9th. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm sure a whole lot more. Hundreds, probably, yes. more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a big uh, decision on uh, Thursday from the Arkansas Supreme Court. Uh, this was a controversial case. Anything having to do with uh, same-sex marriage uh, is in Arkansas. But last year... We had uh, Judge Tim Fox, who uh, ruled that a state law was unconstitutional that limited who could be on uh, birth certificates. Uh, I believe it uh, limited it strictly to biological parents. Uh, But in this day and age, with uh, artificial insemination, you now have uh, same-sex couples that uh, are able to uh, have kids. And three couples in particular had filed this lawsuit against the state. And uh, Judge Fox ruled in their favor. Uh, I was there a year ago when they went to the Arkansas Department of Health to get their names placed on the birth certificates of their newborn children. And the Arkansas Supreme Court on Thursday ruled that Judge Fox uh, went too far on this and uh, tossed this out. The uh, case had been appealed by Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, but the uh, plaintiffs were able to get their names on the birth certificates and uh, that won't change. But I did uh, speak again uh, with uh, one person, one of the uh, people who was a plaintiff in this, uh, Marissa Pavan. Uh, she and her wife, Tara, have a child that's now uh, about a year and a half old, I believe. And uh, she shared with me uh, her thoughts on this. I was pretty disappointed. I think that, you know, it's great that, you know, a few of us got our birth certificates while we could. But you know, we we filed it and hoped that it would continue on to maybe be able to, you know, let everybody who is going to have a baby um, here in the future, you know, have uh, quite a few friends that have had babies recently and will 
you know, have babies here pretty soon. And, you know, they were super excited about potentially getting, you know, both of their names on the birth certificate. And um, until it's not, until you're not able to have it, um, you don't realize how much of a big deal it is. Worth noting it uh, was a split court. And uh, in a dissent, Justice Paul Danielson wrote that listing a parent's name on a birth certificate is a benefit associated with marriage that he said should be extended to same-sex couples uh, under the U.S. Supreme Court ruling that legalized uh, gay marriage. She uh, told me, uh, Marissa Pavan, that uh, they haven't decided whether or not to uh, try and appeal this uh, further. I believe they can go to the uh, Eighth Circuit if they want to uh, challenge uh, this decision. I think the biggest benefit has been able, you know, I've been able to um, acquire health insurance for my daughter and not have to have her as, you know, a de- just a legal dependent. Um, and in some cases, some companies won't even let you have that. Um, mostly it's, it's been that, um, you know, and I know that a lot of the lawyers around town have been very gracious with their time helping um, same-sex couples with adoption, but it's still at a price, you know, and it's, it's been as low as five, I've heard it be as low as $500, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't have that kind of money, especially after you've, um, you've spent thousands of dollars in some cases, um, you know, $10,000 in some people's cases trying to have a baby, um, you know, over so many years and then to, to have to put out that kind of money to legally adopt somebody that you've been with since the day they were conceived. You know, it's just, it, especially in our, I can't speak for the other couples, but in our case, when the gentleman gave his, you know, sperm, he signed away all of his legal rights to her, um, in our case to her. And somebody, I feel like if I want to, if I'm saying I want to step into that role and be that other parent that, the government should let me. There's not a, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of people that want to always step up into those roles for children. And if somebody is willing to take over that responsibility, you know, without getting anything out of it, um, other than obviously I'm getting, you know, the love of a daughter, that they should be allowed to. It shouldn't be something that they have to fight for or pay for. So it'll probably be an ongoing uh, legal challenge. Are you going to mention the dissent, Bob Dylan? Okay, yeah, so there's, Michael mentioned there's a split decision. Justice Danielson pointed out that uh, birth certificates are as much about different marriage rights as are about biological parents, and uh, Justice Brill uh, quoted the times they are a change in. But that was written in 1964, so I guess the times take a long time to change, and maybe (laughs) even longer in Arkansas. (laughs) Well, with that, we'll uh, wrap up this week's uh, podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Heblin. I'm Chris Hickey. I'm Jacob Kaufman. Our theme song is by our own Chris Hickey. You can subscribe to the podcast if you're not already a subscriber on iTunes. KUAR is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. 